the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars Podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. I'm looking live at uh, snow, and you may actually, actually, that's perfect timing, perfect reason entry. You may have heard in the background, I'm hearing airport announcements in the background. Um, I'm rambling, but the uh, Ryan and I are podcasting, that's the moral of the story right now. For the first time in three months, four months? It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, hold on, what was that noise? Bunch of luggage just fell off of a, uh, you know, one of those carts that drives around with, uh, where the, you know, the carts that they drive around is they put people who need assistance on, um, make it go faster, right? Yeah. So one of those just stopped short and a bunch of luggage fell off. That was a big clang in the background. Oh, well, at least it was luggage and not people. That would have probably been a lot. Too. Yeah, it was, it was, ju- it was just luggage. Just luggage. Uh, anywho, um, We'll start with uh, let's, let's 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 talk about Bell Stars and uh, well we'll start with the first question, Brian. That is, I think I think we know the answer, but uh, we both have probably the same answer. But uh, I'll pose it to you: um, Is this team done? I mean, it's really hard to say. Looking at the last, the way that they played the last two months, it's hard to say anything other than this team is not making the playoffs. And I get that there's been a lot of doom and gloom on Twitter the last two and a half weeks, but if we're if we're hypothesizing before the Washington game that they got to win six of nine to have a pretty good chance of making the playoffs, we're now in a situation where they're what on a six game losing streak. Let alone, I mean, not in, if we're if we're disregarding the points that they got from overtime losses, they've lost like six straight now. Now they're in a situation where they have to win six of eight games to finish the regular season, and I, it's just the way that they played the last two months. I don't, unless something drastically changes overnight, basically, I just don't see how that's going to happen. Well, by my math, I mean, we should never all, we should never completely trust my math, but by my math and talking to a couple other people who have done the math, I mean, it's probably going to take at least 96 points to get in, maybe 97, depending on how other teams play. The Stars of 84 right now, 84 with 8 to play, um, which means you need either 12 of 16 or 13 of 16 points. And that schedule includes Boston, Vancouver, Vancouver is the easy one, Philly, Minnesota, Minnesota, San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A. I don't see how you get, A, I don't see how you get 13, I don't see how you get 12. I wonder, I look at that stretch and you look at on paper with how this team has played, you look maybe... Maybe they get two points out of those final eight games. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting here saying Vancouver's the easy game. Uh, we, I just want to watch them play Montreal a week ago, and that was they're playing Anti Niemi with a team. You're playing a team that's without their best goaltender, without their best defenseman, without their best forward, without their two best defensemen because Victor Met wasn't in the lineup. Without their best forward, and they laid an egg against them. They laid an egg against Ottawa. It's I, it's not like the, they've been playing. World beating teams the last six games. No, the uh, and you we, that's the six game road trip that they just wrapped up last night against Washington. Um, I know the Stars say they tried hard and they worked hard and everything like that, but I mean we go through it. That Pittsburgh game, loss in Pittsburgh, 
you're playing a Pittsburgh team that I think it was I think it was Casey DeSmith that night, or it might have been Tristan Jerry. I keep mm-hmm. getting those two mixed up. Yeah, um, Casey DeSmith. Casey DeSmith, and it's the second game of a back-to-back. You're playing a Pittsburgh team that's playing the second game of back-to-back, and then to uh, to uh, rub salt even further in the wound, you have Jamie Alexiak scores the game-winning goal for the Penguins. Um, <laughs> so that's a game that I know Pittsburgh's the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, but that's a game you still you need to win. You need to actually beat teams playing the second game of a back-to-back, playing a backup goalie, an AHL goalie. Then they go to Montreal can't beat a bad Montreal team that's missing all their best players and playing Anthony Emmy. You can't beat Montreal. Then you go to Toronto where you actually play well for a bit. You actually play, the Toronto game is frankly, if that, that Toronto game if Kari Lightning doesn't have such a poor start, they probably win that game. Fair enough? Well, even then, I mean, they had a 4-2 lead in the third period and they just completely forgot how to play hockey for a eight-minute period. Well, they, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Toronto game, they took the lead I, I kind of laughed a bit because that was the game where Pitch said we won the game three times but just couldn't hold on. No, you lost. You, you didn't win the game three times but you couldn't hold on. You just you basically you lost the game three different times. You found three different ways to give the game away. And yeah. once again, not, not something good teams do, and not something that. Then you go to Ottawa, and you play. You see, you play an Ottawa team that is bad. And you get swept in, you lose an overtime to Ottawa, therefore getting swept in the season series by Ottawa. And you go, there's a 16 minute stretch in the third period where the, uh, 16 minute stretch in the third period where the Stars don't even get a shot, which in a game that you're up one nothing, and the game that was then 1-1, how do you play with your season on the line like that? And then you go to Winnipeg and you get beaten by Patrick Liney again, and you rush back your goalie, and he gets hurt again. And then you go to Washington, and we saw the result last night. It's there's, I mean, the season. I hate to say the season's over because, but it's you want to look at it true. It's I mean, they really are. There's, I, I don't see any reason to believe this team actually has any chance of getting the points they need to to make it to the playoffs. Um, now, if they do, it'd be a fun story if they did. But it's, it's, I just don't see it happening. It's not going to happen. Two more points on this. One. Mm-hmm. And I, I get that we're starting off our first podcast in three months with a bunch of doom and gloom, which I mean is completely justified. But you look at going back to that Ottawa game, you're at that point winless halfway through the road trip. And mm-hmm. to finish out the road trip with our, at that point, it was already like panic mode. Hey, we have 10, 11 games left here. We need to get our stuff together. And to come out and finish the road trip that way. That's just, I mean, to me, it doesn't bode well for them turning it around the last eight games. Then if you look at the standings right now, the way that Colorado has played of late, I mean, all the teams in front of them, aside from maybe Minnesota and L.A., have just have been killing it lately. But if you look at the standings as we're sitting right now, they're four back of Colorado for the first wild card spot with Colorado having a game in hand. They're two back of Anaheim with Anaheim also having a game in hand. They're six back of Minnesota for third in the division with Minnesota also having a game in hand. There's legitimately one spot that Dallas could feasibly catch in the last eight games. So it's and not like probably, they're playing. And, and, and that's only if they, and you say feasibly catch, and to feasibly catch, that's one spot. I mean, we're talking about, in theory, they could win six of eight and not get it. That's how, Yeah. that's, that's the other thing here, to, too. Anaheim has one more game left than you, and you have to be at least two points better than Anaheim over their last nine games. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and that's not even including the fact that 
St. Louis has two games in hand on Dallas and is only one point back. St. Louis, Dallas could go six and two and still get passed by St. Louis. Mm-hmm. That would how, how frustrating would that be if uh, talking talking about a frustrating turn of events for Stars fans if St. Louis gets in the team that literally sold at the deadline beats them into the playoffs. Yeah. And I mean, I don't. I mean, St. Louis is. I mean, they've been average lately, but it's still yeah. better than Dallas has been of late. So, Ugh. yeah, it's, that, was uh, that was fun to get off my chest. I've been holding that one in since uh, since after the Toronto game when uh, we. Uh, that was fun for a little bit. We went to. It was a, it was a good hockey. We went, yeah, it was. We went. We went on a little road trip. We had spring break last week, so. My dad texted me first week of February, and he said, hey, during your break, Dallas and Montreal, Dallas and Toronto, and then we'll go to Vegas for the weekend. And I thought he was completely kidding because why would I think he was serious about that? But no, he was serious. So went to Montreal, went to Toronto. That was an incredible experience. But uh, I've seen three Stars games in person this year now, and they've lost all three. So maybe I should stay away for a little bit. Well... The, uh, I mean, I think the the, the storyline that the frustrating storyline that kind of puts all of this into perspective and everything like that is, and it, it it's not the official killing off because say they go to Ottawa and they get to say they win those games in Ottawa and Toronto it's fine but this road trip starts with losing a game where you let Jamie Alexia score the game winning goal and you can't beat Anthony yet. I mean, you let two you let two you let two ghosts of your past basically beat you. And then you can't make up for it. That's really where this all started on this road trip. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's, I mean, the Stars have been slowly looking like a worse team since, uh, I'd say everything started to kind of, they lost to Vancouver like on February 11th, I think, which ended a five game road, a uh, five game win streak. And since that point, they've just, gotten worse and worse as the season's gone along. Maybe it's maybe they're tired. That's what one thing the team it's the word that the coaching staff keeps using. Maybe they are maybe they just forgot how to play. Maybe maybe they maybe they maybe they stopped doing this and we'll we'll discuss all of those things. I'm intentionally being vague here. I know what my point is. I'm intentionally being vague because I want to actually continue this conversation. Um so I mean, this is something where if you go back and diagnose it going back to February, going back to early February, I don't want to say it's something that you saw coming because you didn't want to say you saw it coming. You, you would have hoped the Stars would have been able to do something different. But um, the science had been there if you go through and you take a look, take look back. Yeah, I mean, the tired thing I could buy because it, the biggest issue for this team all year has been they have mm-hmm. no depth in terms of secondary scoring, legitimate secondary scoring options. Raddick Fox has been good. Jan Mark's been good. Other than those two guys, it's been a one-line team. And if you're consistently riding that one line, I mean, one, you're easy to game plan for. You just throw your best defensive line out there and frustrate the crap out of the top line the entire game. But, I mean, if you're trying to get offense, like late in the game, you're trying to get offense, you're riding these guys, and, and they run out of steam. So, I mean... The other thing I noticed, too, in Montreal and Toronto last week, this team has no creativity in the offensive zone. 
it was the same stuff every time they drove down the ice, where they drive down the outside, and then they get perimeter shots. There's no, there's very little, there was very few high quality scoring chances in those two games that I saw, and it just, it just seems like, not that teams gotten more conservative over the last couple of months, but I mean we joked about. Hitch hot. We've joked about hitch hockey in the past. We're boring. It's low. It's supposed to be low event, and you're supposed to rely on your defense suffocating the other teams, which just it it just hasn't happened lately. And if you're not generating offense, and then in your defense kind of goes by the wayside, like it has the last couple month and a half or so for Dallas. I mean, that's it's a it's a recipe for disaster. Well, in the offensive creativity, something I really want to touch on um, too. I really want to I want to want to discuss that. Um, but the defense, too, you're starting to see, I think, you have defensemen that actually are hitting a wall. Um, whether I mean, Dan Ham, Houston, Greg Pattern are, that's the, that, if you talk, if you want to talk about being tired and you want to talk about what, about guys getting worn down, Greg Pattern is a guy who, A, he's playing 20, playing 18, 19 minutes a night. This is a guy who in his career had never played more than, I think it had never been more than, 52 games in a season combined between NHL and AHL, and he was a college hockey guy. Um, and so, I mean, this is a Greg Patterns, a guy who's now played, what's the number? He's played 65 games, played more games than he's ever played in his career at the highest level, and he's playing more minutes, and he's just hit a wall. I think, he's, there's, I think that's, there's fatigue hitting there. Dan Hamhuis is, is starting to show age on, well, he was showing age earlier in the season, too, but he was able to they were able to mask that a bit, but he's starting to, he's, he's slowing down playing with as much as he's playing. You're not supposed to do that much. And then it just, I think, and I'm, I don't even think John Klingberg and Esther Lindell are getting overly tired. I think they are. I think it's tiring for what they're doing, but I think it's also just getting more mentally taxing because they keep getting put in a position where they have to make up for everything. Um, and they're getting tough assignments and everything like that. And so I actually believe that the defense is, is wearing down, but that's not, but that's because you didn't take care of business. You didn't take care of business in some of the earlier stretches of the season. Um, I mean, this team would be in a much better spot if they could just take, if they could just beat teams playing the second game of back-to-backs when other teams are tired, and they don't do that. And I know I just rambled there. And did my point come across at all? No, it, it 100% did. And I think that goes into one of my overarching points for the season is how criminally mismanaged some of the players on this roster have been. And, I am 100% in on the free Honka movement. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that playing Julius Honka every night is, would have added much in terms of if you, the whole advanced stats thing, wins above replacement, whatever. I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to sit here and try to argue that Julius Honka is a guy who would have added three or four more wins to this team. But you look at the defensive court as they have right now. You have John Klingberg and a, five other guys who don't, who can't do with the puck what Julius Honka can do. And that's and going back to the creativity thing. That's creativity that this team could have used. And mm-hmm. I, I, yes, for the first half of the year, the pattern hand use pairing was obviously the big story. And obviously they played great. But as you just mentioned, they're, you can only go to that well for so, I mean, it, especially when you, you phrase it the way you have, because I, as someone who's not looked at Greg Pattern's career numbers before, I, I guess it doesn't shock me that he's never played that many games before because he's been an extra guy his entire life. And now you come in and you're asking him to play those minutes. It's just, it, it, it is taxing, and I feel like that could have and should have been managed better. And I guess that's my point there. And 
I don't know that I have much more to add to that. I know that I'm sure that everyone, not everyone, but I, I know a good portion of people who listen to this are also on board the Sri Lanka movement, if you want to call it a movement. But um, no, I just, I don't like how, I. it's different than last year and it's better than last year because that was just a mess last year, but he's a guy I feel like should have been in the lineup more. And maybe if he was, we'd be... Yeah, I've, I've written this and I've talked about this before. I mean, the Honka, if we're assigning blame on the Honka situation, it actually doesn't start with Hitch. Um, it goes back to last year when the Stars, when, when we, when the Stars trade Patrick Eves to the Ducks. From that day forward, Julius Honka should be in a lineup every day for the rest of the season. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's where this, that's where this goes back to. Um, and that's not on Hitch, that's on management who, they had a lame duck coach. Um, they should have told the lame duck coach, you gotta play him. I mean, it's, and if he wasn't going to, and if he wasn't going to listen to you, you would have, you should have just said, okay, we'll let you go right now, and you let, uh, I mean, Kurt Frazier run the team the rest of the season last year. I mean, this, 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 the Honka thing goes all the way back to the last season where management didn't say, okay, well, this season's done, let's at least salvage and let, uh, and let, uh, and let Honka, let Honka play. Um, this season, you have, I mean, Catherine's a good story, but, you have, you take a look, and, and the other thing about Hawk, I just want to clarify too, I, I know off the top, I don't know his record off the top of my head, I know they have a better win-loss record with him in, um, which is both a result of his play and both a little bit of luck too. Can we, can we agree upon that, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who was sheltered in his minutes, and I mean, the game, yeah, yeah. I, I, the game we saw in Toronto, I thought he played a great game. I, he was smart with the puck, He he's not a guy who just throws it up ice most of the time. I get, I mean, he's a young guy. Mistakes happen sometimes, but for the most part, he was carrying the puck up ice. And I'm like, man, he's playing a great game. And I look up, it was like five minutes left in the third period. He played like eight and a half minutes. I'm like, what the frick is going on here? Yeah. Well, and he played, I mean, he was really good in Winnipeg the other night. I thought he was really good. It was, uh, he had a, uh, I know some, some other, uh, some other individuals, Pointed out he's minus three, but I actually thought Honka was really good in Winnipeg. For one, you take a look at the goals against. He's on the he's on the ice for an empty net goal against. I don't blame him for that. He's on the ice for two two goals that Kari Lettinen should have stopped. Um, and he was I think he was third or second or third on the team in, in, in course before that game. Um, and he, he looked good. He created a lot of chances. He had the puck. He was he was a force. And um, that's. Uh, that was Honka can be Honka was very good in that situation, um, and so and even, even when he was good that night, he only played eleven and a half minutes. So, um, well, I understand and it's, it's a good stat to put the record out while about how when Honka's in the stars get better. Um, I think it would be more impactful stat if he was actually playing, if he was actually given a chance. What would he actually be able to do if he was wasn't playing ten and a half minutes a night? I think he's averaging like ten thirty two time a night this year, something like that. Yeah, it's I I get I mean, I'm I don't know what Hitch's stance is on possession numbers because I don't I mean, I've listened to some of his press conferences this year, but not all of them. Not obviously not as much as you have. But it just I mean, when he, when he's in the lineup he's driving possession. He's in terms of relative course this year, he's second on the team behind Brent Ritchie. And I get again. I get that it comes in limited minutes. It comes in sheltered minutes. But there comes a certain point, especially when I mean, I just 
To be fair, to be fair, to be to be to be to be fair, real quick, and pause you real quick. If you're if you're using if you're using if you're using a stat to to defend Julius Tonka, I'm just I'm just laughing. If you're using a stat to defend Julius Tonka that he's second to only in Brett Richie. That's not a that. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not, I, I, and this is coming from someone who I believe Honka should be in the lineup. I just, and I'm just, I'm just laughing at that because Brett Ritchie is, has not been good this year. <laughs> that, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. His, his Corsi 4 percentage is 54 and a half. I, that's the one yeah, right yeah. next to it. I didn't see yeah, it at, yeah, at yeah. first. Mm-hmm. But I just, especially you look at, you said, I mean, since that Vancouver game, Dallas is 5 8 4. That's, 14 points out of a possible 34. It, mm-hmm. There comes a certain point when you have to look, and this is the thing that irritates me the most about Kitsch. And I mean, I heard it the other night from Jamie Ben. I don't remember if it was after the Montreal game or after the Toronto game. When someone asked him a question, he's like, well, I guess we just have to play a perfect game to win. You don't have to play a perfect game. You're doing the same stuff every game and you're hoping for a different result. And there comes mm-hmm. a certain point when, especially when you're floundering towards the end of the season, you say, hey, maybe we should change something up. Maybe we should give this player who's been pretty good in limited, granted limited and sheltered minutes, but there comes a certain point where you have to say, hey, maybe we should give this guy more of an opportunity and see what happens. What well, else do you even, have to lose at that point? And it even happens late. And even we can just, because I don't want to just talk about just okay, It happens with everything. Let's, let's take a look at uh, Jason Dickinson. We'll use Jason Dickinson from the Winnipeg game, for example. The management likes Jason Dickinson. Everything Hitch says about Jason Dickinson is positive. Um, he plays five. He, I think he played ten shifts, I believe, uh, against Winnipeg, or maybe eleven. I might be off by one, but I think it went something along the lines of five shifts in the first period. He looked pretty good. Three shifts in the second period. He looked pretty good, and then just two in the third period. And um, that's a game where I know you. I know you want your big guns to win the game for you, and I want and you need your and you, you and you want them to. But if you never give anyone else a chance to surprise you, I mean, like, well, look at the team that's won back-to-back Stanley Cups. Who scores key goals? Obviously, Crosby and Malkin are great, everything like that, and their third line has Phil Kessel on it. But um, but think about it. you have the Cotter Sheeries of the world. I mean, how, guys, Cotter Sheeries don't come out and don't and uh, don't score big goals without getting a chance to do it. That, I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, Jake Gunbright scored 14 goals in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm not saying I'm not saying that Jason Dickinson has been great and superb, but it's, it's hard because a he hasn't had that many chances. But when you're playing in a Winnipeg game and it's a close game, if they're doing their job defensively and they're not getting torched, why aren't you giving them more of a chance? Someone could surprise you, and no one has, no one else has had a chance to step up and surprise them. I mean. Even and now, I'm not going to say Curtis McKenzie needs to play more than more than what more than four or five minutes. But stars come in last night. Um, they're at the end of the first period against Washington. The stars have four shots. Curtis McKenzie has two of them. That's that, and, and he was playing well. He was creating energy. Was he is he, he going to score? Probably not. But I've seen him play in the AHL. He's a good net front guy. He's a guy who can cause a bit of chaos. Why aren't you playing that line a little bit more? Especially you talk about being tired, everything like that. You're going into a second period. You're up one nothing. Play that line a little bit more and just see what they can do. Um, and well, that, yeah, that's, that's going off that, going off that tired thing in that Toronto game, and you tweeted after the game, if you have Julius Honka on your team and you're not playing him in overtime, why do you have Julius Honka on your team? Especially when the dude's played nine minutes in the game. He has fresh legs. Yeah, throw him out there. 
if you're if you're if you're the coach and you're the way you're defending this and what has gone on the last month and a half of the season is we have a tired team. Play some of these other guys more. You have guys who should have fresh legs on your team because you're not playing them. And then you also have, and then the next night he actually gets a shift in Ottawa, but he gets 13 seconds of overtime, and that's it. It's, yeah, I, it makes it literally makes. I get coaching is hard, and not everyone can do it. But when you see some stuff like this, it's like, dude, what what are you doing? Well, it's, it's oh, players, coaches have players they like, and they have players they don't like. We can all agree upon that. No coach will ever say they don't like a player. I mean, what they do is it's the real brash coaches that will say that. But coaches have players they like and players they don't like. And there are people that are clearly fall into the Hitch likes them and Hitch doesn't like them. And the uh, Hitch likes them and Hitch doesn't like them. And there's a couple, I mean, uh, there's couple, quite a few players we could talk about that Hitch doesn't like. I mean, one who has an injured back right now, and not the other guy who has an injured back that Hitch really likes. <laughs> yeah, that, um, I kind of got a chuckle out of the end of the Montreal game when Dallas is about to go on it six-on-three power play with 56 seconds left, um, and Hitch pulls Spezza off the ice, literally when he's about to take a draw, and he slammed the gate shut, slammed a stick into the boards, and MF'd him about 17 times. It was yeah. it was something else. It was something else. Well, and just, let's talk about Jason Spezza. Well, let's go there, okay? Because... <laughs> The uh, the first thing I want to clarify before I before I before anyone tunes out is I am not I have never said Jason Spezza is not at fault. I want to clarify that right now. I've never said Jason Spezza is not at fault. However, he we can agree, he needs to be better. If he was really a seven point five million dollar player this season, he would have he would have worked. He would have taken. Taken could have taken a screw you attitude and, and, and put a point, put up more points. However, so there is fault on Spezza, but there's also a lot of fault on the coaching staff that when you have a player who's that old and he's aging and you know that you know what his skill sets are, you need to do something where you need to put him in a position where he actually has a chance to succeed that isn't him fighting and grinding his way um, with wingers like Remielli. I mean, it's, 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 it's Spezza has not Spezza deserves a ton of blame, but there's also a lot of blame here on the coaching staff because they need to, they needed to use him more. If, if they wanted success out of them, they needed to do something to kind of foster success. Right, and I again, we understand that he's an older guy now, and he's not the player that he was even two years ago when Dallas made. Okay, he's, an, he's, he, he's, an old, he's an older guy. He's an older guy. He's 34. He's he's older guy. He's 34. But I just laughed at what Hitch talks about him because he talks about older guys. Talks about older guys. all. He talks about him like he's ancient. Like he talks yeah, about him. 34 is not that old. Like 34. I mean, old, old-ish in hockey, but it's not ancient in hockey terms. It's not like we're talking about Yarmer Yager out here skating yeah. at four or five and, years and, old. And so so it has slowed down, but we don't hear. Then again, we never we never hear the old factor come in. We never, never talk about the goalies being old. We never talk about Dan Hamus being old. Dan Hamus and Jason Spezza wow. were drafted in the same year. Dan Hamus is yeah. older than Jason Spezza. Yeah, 
<laughs> and I, my thing is, is I get if you're going to reduce his role. I get it. I 100% get it. But the guy has never, if, if we're talking about him being older and he's not the same player that he was and we're going to reduce his role, I don't understand how you're looking at a guy who's been a scorer his entire career and is now 34 years old and is being paid like a scorer and you're going to try to turn him into a grinder. I, does, 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 how, is, how does that make sense? Well, and even, even, even you can throw money away because that's, you can throw the money out because one thing is like, okay, well, the coach, we could say, okay, the coach's job is not to worry about the money. His job is to put the best team out there. Fine. We can throw money away. Who cares what he's getting paid like? But, but you look at a guy who's a scorer. He's never been good defensively. I think, I mean, I go and back, I was talking to the guys in Ottawa the other day when they, when Ottawa was in town in Dallas, where there were times where Ottawa would just especially even said, frankly said, well, I'm never going to be a candidate for the Selkie trophy. Like, like, I mean, if you're talking about putting the best guys on the ice, other than the top three, your top three forwards, who's feasibly then been that much better than him this year? Fox well, no one. Maybe Tyler I mean, Pitlick? Well, Pitlick is good in his role. Yeah. I mean, that's, but you're talking about Fox and Pitlick who are guys who have been playing in that third-line role, where frankly I think – I actually think that second line we saw last night in Washington, I think it could be a really good second line. Like, actually, I really like Yanmark, uh, Fox, and the Radulov. I really like that trio together. Um, I don't like Remielli on the top line, but I really like... No. Um, <laughs> um, and now Spezza was hurt last night, so obviously that's slightly different. But um, And I actually thought Devin Shore was kind of put in a role that he should have been in. He's a bottom, he was in the bottom six forward. I mean, last night... There was a black hole on the Stars' power play named Devin Short. Yeah, that's that was, been a continuously perplexing thing to me this year. There's just there's so much. It's but it just goes. I with all the jumbling that they've done this year, and you want to talk about mixing your lines up and try to balance out your scoring. You're throwing guys like Remyelli on the top line. Why have you never just thrown Spets up there with? Sagan and Ben on a consistent basis and just see. Even for Especially half the not, game. I get that he's a guy that's not going to play 18 minutes a night anymore, but for half the game. But you don't have skills. It's not like he forgot how to be a good hockey player. Well, and, and the other thing, too, is in the past, it wouldn't have worked. Like, we, we talked about, remember, we, we talked about last year, how putting that line together, Ben, ben Sagan, Spez together, they would just get pinned in their own. When they got caught in their defensive zone, they were never getting out. Um, yeah. But, but, look at... Look at what Tyler Sagan's done now, and look what Tyler Sagan's done now, and uh, he has he makes up he makes up for what Spezza would do defensively. Jimmy Ben actually, when he's playing well and is mentally into the game, actually does a decent job too defensively. So it's not like putting this it's not like putting the group together. Um, it's not like putting the group together is going to uh, putting that group together now is going to be defensive black hole. It actually could be pretty. It actually would be pretty good. But yeah, well, okay. Speaking of defensive black holes and tired players, can we discuss why Hitch continues to try to push this Tyler Sagan, Jamie Ben penalty kill pairing? Because I guess that they've been better defensively this year, but. 
I still make. I feel like you can still make an argument that neither of them should be considered penalty killers, especially when you're sitting there saying, "Oh, our top guys are tired. Maybe stop playing them." So save them up for offensive situations. What's your? Uh, you're picking your ideal penalty killing. You're picking your ideal penalty killers for Dallas. Who you going with? Um, we're doing just forwards first. Just forwards. Well, just based on the roster they have right now, because I think we could argue that Martin Handel should be out there. I'd say Foxa, Pitlick. You could probably put Mark out there and Rochelle. Mm-hmm. Those would be my top two. Shows. I actually, so I, I don't like Jamie Ben on the penalty kill. I actually don't mind Tyler. I actually like Tyler Stegen on the penalty kill, um, but I don't like him with Jamie Ben. Um, I no. I look at so if I was building penalty killing construction, uh, I actually would look at something like Foxa and Yanmark, and then the two Tylers together. Those would be my first two. I could buy that. Uh, now I can understand if if uh, if the game's been if he's been now you have Roussel and you have you have Shore who can kill penalties and and with, with this group right now obviously because Hansel's not healthy. Um, but when Hansel's healthy, you take him off. Obviously, when Han- when Hansel's healthy, you go okay. We're going to go Hansel and we'll go we'll go Hansel and Yanmark and Pitlick and Fox or whatever. But with what they have right now, I actually don't mind Stegen going penalty. I don't think Jamie Ben is a good penalty killer. I don't think he. I don't think it makes sense to have him out there, um, especially with especially with the tiredness that keeps coming up and everything like that on him. So, um, so yeah, I. I, I can buy Sagan on the penalty kill. I don't. Ben on the penalty kill really doesn't do anything for me. No, and you know, I, I, I get we keep harping on this tired thing, but if you're if you're a coaching staff and you're going to say that our guys are tired, there are things that you can do to rectify it. We talked about some of it earlier, but this is another one. You you don't need to be playing your top guy. I get you want your top guys to be your best penalty killers. You don't need that to be a good team. You have guys on your team who can kill penalties, and it's kind of like that. It helps you out there too because now you're saving your scores for scoring situations and not out there chasing a the puck around in their own zone. Mm-hmm. Yep, this uh, and, and to everyone listening right now, um, the reason the word tired keeps coming up is because this is the motive, and we're discussing what the what keeps getting pushed by the team right now. That's what it is. It's not we're not right. the ones going out there. It was, I'm not the one going out there and says, oh, they they look tired and they 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 deserve us to defend them because they're tired. No, this is us basically saying, well, the coaches are talking about them being tired, so that's the problem according to the coaching staff. Why is that? And that's why we're for just for a quick clarification to everyone listening. That's why we keep using that buzzword. Um, and I'm not trying to use it as a pitch disciple or anything like that. I'm just using it as it's his word. It's in the realm that we're discussing it. Yeah, that's. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we we said that we said that we said the uh, the forwards. Who are your ideal penalty killers on defense? If you're building your ideal penalty killing defense. Based on what they have right now, um, probably Ham Hughes, Patteron, Lindell, and Johns. Yeah. Again, fair. you can have Klingberg out there, but again, save him for an instance where he can make a real impact. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to keep pushing this, uh, like, I get 
Hampton is having a pair. Not bad. Not a pair I want to play for a minute tonight. The pair I want out there on the penalty kill. I want that to be my first pair, ideally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it I think it could be a great penalty kill unit, but when you're throwing them out there for 20, 21 minutes a night, obviously, especially at this point in the year, you know, you're wearing down. The season's wearing on you. You're talking about a guy who's in Dan Hanius who's getting older. You're talking about a guy in great pattern who's never played this much hockey professional in an NHL season in his life. They're wearing down. Cut back their minutes a little bit. Throw Johns and Honk on a pair together, two young guys. Let them fly. I actually don't like John Tonka together, but uh, but we can talk about Fair. that in a minute. Um, um, but here's an interesting thing that's going to sound odd at first, but I'm going to explain it. Um, Hamus pattern are better, are much better. They get Hamus and pattern get more exposed at five on five than they do on the penalty kill, because the penalty kill, you have a lot of stationary setup. You have a lot of offensive zone faceoffs getting set up. And Hamus is a veteran guy. Pattern does a good job of reading of reading plays, and they're stationary. On the penalty kill, you're very stationary. You're not having to. Mm-hmm. But at five on five, they get exposed more because of the speed of the game now. Um, right, because they they have to then deal with guys streaking through the you have to deal with more guys streaking through streaking into the zone, things along that nature, um, where they actually have to use their foot speed to try and keep up, and so they get more exposed at five on five than they do on the penalty. I think they actually could be really good penalty killers. They can be really good penalty killers, but they're starting. I mean, I think it was like last night. There was uh, there was two or three times where. Ovechkin uh, went down the went down the wing at Pattern. Um, one or two times, Pattern got this hook check in and got and got the puck away. But there's an, there's a reason that Ovechkin is taking him one on one there. I mean, just he knows yeah. that he's he's faster. <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree with that. It it makes complete and perfect sense. Yeah. The, uh, I guess this is a lot of ranting too, but this is three months of frustration coming out right now. <laughs> well, it's more of a month and a half of frustration, but you get the point. Yeah, I get your point. Um, what do you make of the goaltending right now? Now, it's not there's not much to make of it because it hasn't been it hasn't been good enough during this six game road trip, but it was good before that. Um, no, what do you make of it? No. Um, I mean, there's something, there's a point to be made for if, if, if you're the coaching staff and you're pushing this entire team narrative. I guess they haven't played that great problem, but there was, in the two games that we saw, probably at least half those goals were pucks that should have been stopped in those two particular games. And I feel like there's been a lot of that. Even when Bishop was healthy, there was, I, I feel like there was a lot of times looking on Twitter where you'd tweet something out, goal, that's one Bishop wants would like to have back. I feel like there's a lot of, there's been a lot of that going on the last month or so. There's been a lot of that going on. Frankly, actually, Bishop, um, a lot of that going on all season with Bishop, or even when Bishop will be really good. He'll, even some of the games where he makes 38, 37 saves, the one, and they win the games 2-1, to 3-1. The goal against would be a short sider in the third period. That would just be bad. Like any, any third or fourth in the uh, NHL with five or six shutouts right now probably would have more mm-hmm. if he stopped a couple more short side shots in the third period earlier in the season. Um, but uh, so, and on Lightning, who basically, for better or worse, it's like it's been for worse for the Stars, is 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 your is your uh, bell cow for the rest of the season. Um, 
first of all, I mean, let's talk about that. You can let's talk about that Washington goal last night that ends the, the game-winning goal. Now, on the other end of the ice, 30 seconds before, Jamie Ben can't corral a bouncing puck, and Braden Holtby does a good job with his right pad to make the save, but puck's trickling in on net, and Lightning, for whatever reason, decides he's going to try and shoot the puck off the boards as hard as he can. There's no one around him to pass to. There's three Capitals there. The Capitals keep the zone. They sustain pressure. They hit the crossbar one. Shot goes to the pass. Puck goes to the point, and a shot and a shot beats him on the glove side that he should save. That I mean, for one, he needs to make that save. For two, he created the problem for himself in the first place, where he just needs to freeze that puck in a three-three game. Like, yeah. Matt, you remember the uh, the first goal against Toronto last week? <laughs> yes. It, it's the same. For those who don't know what I was laughing about, that's the goal where he uh, basically gave the it was Kadri who scored it, right? Yeah, where he tries to yeah. he tries to stop the puck about five feet in front of his crease and bounces off his stick and Kadri pokes it in, com- almost completely yeah. uncontested yeah. from either a defenseman or the goaltender. Mm-hmm. It, it just we talked about that a lot when Bishop got signed. Is the element that he was going to add to this team is he knows how to play the puck. Carl Lettman's not very good at playing the puck. Yeah, there's, there's a You're difference. You're at that point in your career where you should know your strengths and weaknesses there, and I'm not really sure what he was trying to do last night. Yeah. I I, no, I don't know either. And there's a difference between there's a difference between being a talented puck handler and a and being a, a good puck handler and a talented puck handler. There's the thing where Carl Lettman can shoot the puck. You can if if, if, a, if a net was empty, I think Kari could shoot the puck into an empty basket. Okay, fine. But the, the biggest thing, and I've written about this a ton, and probably people who are listening have probably heard me harp on it enough times. The biggest thing about Bishop's stick handling isn't the big stretch passes. While those are impressive, the biggest thing about Bishop's stick handling are those six to seven foot passes where the Stars' defense makes come back and flail out, and and they take a lot of wear and tear. And mm-hmm. and also there's and. So it, I mean, if the stars, I, I think here's something I think people will notice. Something people will notice if he gets in a game, and I don't know if he will because, um, and we'll, we'll talk. I'll, I'll explain why in a second. But I don't know if Mike McKenna will get into a game during this call up um, because if uh, I don't know if Mike McKenna will get into a game during this call up because, but if Mike McKenna gets into the game, he is one of the few goalies in the world I would put on the same level as puck handling as Ben Bishop. Now he, he's never been like if Mike McKenna was a was a true NHL a, NHL goalie he would be one of the top five puck handling goalies in the league. But he uh, he's never been the he's never had the other part of his game to be a full time NHL goalie so that's why he's not in that, in that conversation. McKenna I've watched the AHL team play I've watched him in the AHL before I've watched I've watched him play a couple games live in the AHL this year I've watched him handle the puck um, and I actually texted with an AHL coach. Um, an AHL coach the other day about him, where teams don't dump, teams don't dump the puck in on the Texas Stars because of Mike McKenna. Uh, Texas Stars games, what happens is you'll notice in the first period he plays the puck quite a bit, um, and then after five minutes, five six minutes left in the first period, teams stop dumping the puck in on the Texas Stars because McKenna controls breakouts better than any other goal in the AHL. So that's just a random note that if, if McKenna does get into a game. He looks like Bishop handling the puck. He just wears his catching glove on the other hand. That's fun. Uh, but, here's why, I, I, but, but here's why 
I actually don't think Mike McKenna should play a game. And I, this is, this is, I would love Mike McKenna to play a game on one level because I really like Mike McKenna as a human being. He's been a, he's been a guest on the podcast before. He is a great human being. Um, if this, if you're getting to the point where you're playing Mike McKenna, that means you're officially out, right? Yeah. And it's just probably, I can't, I can't really see them going to him if they're still theoretically in it. Yeah, so if you're going to McKenna, that means you're officially out. If you're officially out, and I like Mike, I like Mike McKenna a lot, but he's 35. If you're officially out, you have you have, you got to call up Bo and you start landing Bo. Because why not? What else do you have to lose? Yeah, but that's something they should have done last year too, and they didn't. So God knows anymore. Yeah, but that's uh. Um, <laughs> let's uh. I don't know if it's a fun subject. It probably depends on the subject matter, but you know what? Let's let's uh, let's take a look forward now. You're taking a look at this team. You're going take a look at this team. You're going forward to the off season, and you don't know where they'll be in the draft and everything like that. But um, how do you uh, you look at? We'll, we'll start on the defense there. Who's back? Who's not? Um. This is probably going to be different than what I would have said three months ago, but at this point, everyone on the defense who's unrestricted, which I believe is, I don't know why I said everyone, I could have just said Hampton's and Pattern. I don't think either of them are back at this point. The way that they've kind of, I mean, like, three months ago, when we were, the last time we talked, we were talking about them being one of the stories of the first half, and they have been not as bad as they were that good but they've fallen off pretty considerably to the point that I just, that kind of shows why Greg Pattern has been a seventh guy his entire career. Dan Hamus, I didn't think Dan Hamus was really going to come back anyway, because someone's going to give him a contract that's greater than what I would want to give him. But at this point, I don't think either of them come back with the guys that you have on this roster, plus the guys you have coming up. If we're talking, especially with your, if we're talking about Nero potentially being in the picture next year, I I just I feel like it would just be more worthwhile to go with throw Honka in there, see if Hetherington has has the gall to be a top six guy next year. And then maybe if there's if you if you want to throw some money around, maybe look at a guy like John Carlson in free agency. I don't know. But that's that's the path that I would take if I were running the team at this point. Yeah, um I don't see any reasons for him who's back and Vic Especially because somebody will get him more money than he's worth somewhere. Um, yeah. Not, I mean, good, good, good for him. Make your money. Um, the uh, I I think Pattern will be back because I think it'll be an easy re-sign for Nil. I, so I think Pattern will, will be back, whether that's the right decision or not. I'm not sure, um, but I don't mind having Pattern as the seventh defenseman. Um, no, if you're bringing him back to be the seventh guy, then so be it. I'm fine with that. Um, it just it kind of becomes an it just it's uh it just kind of becomes an interesting balance of how do you figure out um, you have to be on the same page as your coach then though because if you're bringing them back yeah. to be a seventh guy your coach has to be on the page that he's coming back to be a seventh guy um, and then it's a player and then but then if you're on that side if you're the player if you're Greg Pattern though on the flip side I don't want to come if I'm Greg Pattern I don't want to come back to be the seventh guy. Not after I playing somebody, No, no, no. If I'm, yeah, if I'm Greg Pattern, I look at where, okay, um, they're bringing me back to be seven. Um, I'll, I'll go I'll, I'll be, I'll go somewhere else in free agency because I can 
I can play. I mean, I can play on. I'm, I'm not a top six. If his agent is on, is with him. He's probably not a top six on a playoff team, but he's a top six guy now. He's a top six NHL player now on a team that's that's middling. Well, yeah, that's the, that's the thing with him too. Is there are enough teams that are going to need to sign somebody to get to the cap floor? I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if somebody who's not very good and has a ton of salary cap space to burn gives him more money than he's. Not a ton. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to get a three million dollar deal, but I mean, if I'm, I can't even say Jim Neal at this point because if they miss the playoffs, God knows who's even going to be running the team next year. But if I'm whoever's running the Stars and someone offers him two million dollars, I'm not matching that. Not a chance. Well, and, and you look at the defenseman market this year. Isn't really there aren't, isn't a particularly strong year for defensemen free agents. So if you're Greg Pattern and his agent, this is the year you you try and take advantage of that as opposed to next year when this the the, the Dowdy Carlson sweepstakes the next year, you don't want to be you'll be way, way, way lower on the totem pole the next year, obviously. And I'm not saying he's in that top tier, but this year the the, the class of defenseman free agents is not nearly it's not a good class. That's why Dan Hamish is gonna make a lot of money and that's why Greg Pattern will be able to get more than he was worth in probably a more traditional defenseman free agency class. Yeah, I would. I just pulled up the free agent page for defensemen this coming year, based on salary. Salary they're making this year: Mike Green, Toby Enstrom, Jason Garrison, Jack Johnson, Alexi Yemelin, Kevin Biesta, Dan O'Shara, John Carlson, Josh Georges, Dan Hamilton. In terms of your, the top ten guys in terms of salary, mm-hmm. not a lot. Not a lot. No. A lot of older guys who are probably overpaid now already. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't get any better after that. There's some guys who are restricted, but, I mean, we all, I mean, the restricted as much as well, not even look at that. Yeah. Well, no one, no one does an offer sheet anymore. Yeah. Offer sheets aren't a thing anymore. We all know that. Yeah. <laughs> offer sheets don't exist. If they did, then there's a, they're a tool that GMs forgot existed. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, there's really Hold on. not. Hold on, I'm check. Okay, we're still good. I was just checking. I'm trying to get on a standby flight back to Dallas, so I was seeing that. So ah, remember, I'm still I in an airport. <laughs> I see. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> uh, that was bas- that was basically my point is that there's there's not a lot on the free agent market. So in ba- in that climate, I don't know that. I, I'm sure there's someone who's going to give him a contract that I would not want to match if I were Dallas. Um, yeah, and I think I think you have to. I think, I think there's something there with Hetherington actually. Um, I actually think Hetherington John. I know I'm I'm just saying it. I'm not trying to put all the pairings. I actually think Hetherington John has a good. I think those are two guys that would actually be have a good future together. Um, I think those are two that if they played together, they would be a nice misfit. Um, Hetherington would be willing to is more of that. Uh, He's willing to uh, take a step back offensively, let John's roam a little bit more. They're both big, they're both physical. The pairing that hit should love. Um, and uh, frankly, it's, it's about just as good as what Mark Mathot's done this year. Um, yeah. And yeah. and uh, and if you're gonna go, if you're gonna keep Lindell Klingberg together, try Heather and John. Um, 
Masat will be back next year. Maybe you go Masat Hanta, and then um, you let Miro. I, I, I actually, I'm a fan of letting Miro do the uh, Klingberg model of playing 67 games in the AHL and winning that spot right away, knowing you, yeah. and then and then having him jump up. I, I think I think there's some some value there, and that also protects you. It also protects the player, protects the player more than the team. Um, of uh, it protects the player and it keeps the player in a situation where he has a chance to actually adapt to North America because um, given those five, six games in the AHL, dominate those games, and then okay, now now you're ready. I, I'm, I'm good no, with that. I, model. I don't I, I, I don't think Miro needs to be I don't think Miro needs to be on the opening night roster, but um, still I think the Stars are probably a better team if he plays 65 games. No, I completely agree. Unless he comes into camp and he is unquestionably one of your five best defensemen, just let him sit in the AHL, start the season off there, and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh... What about the forwards? Who's back, who's not? Um... At this point, they have two unrestricted guys on the team. I feel safe and... I mean... Not that Russell's been fantastic this year to the point where he's playing himself into a bigger contract, but I still feel like he ends up being a guy that potentially presses himself out of Dallas. He's making two million this year, so I mean he's good. he's due a raise. He deserves a raise. But you know where Russell ends up in my mind? Do you know where Russell ends up in my mind? Are you talking Montreal? No. Okay, then I don't. Uh, know. I, I I know he's like Montreal, but uh, what team has the cap space? Is for whatever reason decides to still go get enforcers, tests like that, and uh, and is, is a playoff team this year. Uh, and they're going to replace another test that they got in the middle of this season. Ooh, I don't know. You're gonna say it, and I'm gonna. It's gonna hit me. Vegas. Oh yeah, I could see that. Rochelle goes back to Vegas. He plays with Cody Eakin. You have the two French players in the NHL on the same team. You guys can already see sponsorship deals with the Paris Casino. Yeah, I mean they will. Vegas has some interesting. I mean they did get Reese. I forgot about Reese. Um, <laughs> Vegas is an interesting case because I mean they're gonna. Grabowski comes off their books, but he's on IR, so it's not like... Clarkson come off this year or next year? He doesn't come off until 2020. Good God, that's terrible conscience. Yeah. uh, Yeah, that's... He's their their second-highest capped guy right now. Um, But they'll have Grabowski come off, but he's on IR right now, so it's not like that's going against their books anyway. Uh, Marchessault's contract kicks in next year at five million a year. They got James Neal to resign. They have Perron to resign. I'm sure they'll probably bring Perron back. He's been unbelievable this year. Uh, William Carlson's restricted. He's going to get a gigantic raise. Uh, they have William Carlson's going to William Car- Hey, hey, William Carlson's going to look great in Seattle in two years. <laughs> That'd be funny. It wouldn't surprise me though. I mean, you look at they give him. You know, eight years at seven million a year or something like that, which I don't think would be that far fetched. He comes out, he completely falls off the wagon next year. Another expansion. He becomes. That'd be funny. Yeah. 
Um, no, I can see that because they got they got enough coming off their books that they'll have some cash space to play with. Yep. Um, so Rochelle's gone, and also and also you have Remy Ellie fills the exact same role, uh, fills the exact same role for much cheaper. It's just he just right. he doesn't right. it's, he's, yeah. Well, that goes um, into the that goes into the don't pay top dollar for bottom six guys. Yeah, you, you're going to have um, someone who can come up and replace what Antoine Rochelle has done this year. I get he's a fan favorite, yeah. and I get he plays hard, and he plays on the edge, and he's fun to watch, and he's got a personality. But that's a guy you can replace from within. Mm-hmm. Um, what does he? What does he have this year? Twenty some odd points. That's it's not like no, it's not like no, losing he's losing there. Yeah, yes. So he's not going to be back. Um, you have the only the, other only other unrestricted guy in the forward group is McKenzie. He's not back. Well, Kurt Matt. Oh, okay. There's this is there's a there's a big decision right now that Curtis McKenzie has to make in his career. Uh, and not every people who have followed me who probably listen to me when I still covered the AHL or follow me when I wrote the AHL will understand this. And so I'll have to explain it to those points. Curtis McKenzie has to decide this offseason whether he wants to be Travis Morin or he wants to be Chris Mueller. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. So for those listening at home. Basically, McKenzie's at the point in his career where he has to decide where does he want to sign two, three-year deal with Texas, with, with, sorry, with Dallas, be a depth guy, be the AHL captain, make $350,000 a year to live in Austin, Texas, um, and uh, and uh, and have a good life. It's not a bad life. I would love $350,000 a year to live in Austin, Texas. Oh, uh, yeah, easily. <laughs> so he's going to decide whether he wants to be Travis Morin. And so basically by doing that, you're – saying, okay, I'm an AHL guy who maybe gets the occasional call-up and I'm committing to be in depth organization for this for three years. And, or he can be Chris Mueller, who can go sign one-year contracts with teams where he looks at like, okay, I'm that first call-up every year, making a lot of money, but i got to move my family around every year. I think Mueller's gone from Texas to Arizona to San Diego to Toronto. Basically, Curtis has to make that decision on Curtis has to make that decision whether he wants to be Travis Moore or Chris Mueller. And I don't know what he wants yeah. to be. I know he, I know he and his fiance like Austin. Uh, they like Texas. But I also know that I also saw him last night spring into the, the arena in Washington, D.C., thrilled to be back in the NHL. I mean, it's uh, – so he's got it. I don't know where, I don't know where that decision – I'm not sure uh, where that decision comes, what, what decision he makes on that, but that's the decision McKenzie has to make. I don't think – McKenzie's not a team. I think I think the Stars would easily bring McKenzie back at league minimum NHL, high AHL salary. I think they'd easily do it. Um, but it's not their decision to make. It's Curtis McKenzie's decision to make on what he wants to happen. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. Especially when you look in a couple of years, you're going to have a 30-second team. So there's you don't necessarily want to pigeon your whole, pigeonhole yourself somewhere if you feel like you can be an NHL player because there's going to be 23 more opportunities in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. For sure. 23 more um, jobs, I should say. Yeah, 23 more jobs. Um, then, so those are the two UFAs. The RFAs are... RFAs, the Jim Nill, Jim, Jim Nill signs RFAs no matter what. Um, as we saw with Patrick Emmis and Jamie Alexiak and everything, he signs RFAs because he keeps them... He's going to... He even, he even, they even qualified Matty Stransky technically last. Even though Stransky went back and played in the KHL, they technically gave a qualifying offer to Matty Stransky. The Stars are going to qualify every RFA. Um, so, that, that, that gives us the issue of... That gives us the issue of the uh, big uh, the big forward there, um, making $7.5 million. 
how do you get rid of them, and do you get rid of them, and what does that look like? Huh. Well, I think the answer to do you get rid of him depends on what happens with the coach. And this is not a conversation that I expected to have, but if the Stars miss the playoffs, I'm not necessarily saying Ken Hitchcock gets fired, but would it be a totally unreasonable thing to say that he decides that this is it, I'm retiring? I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, I also think there's an, I think there's a very much possibility of with how Hitchcock's contract is set up where he can move really into a consulting role at some point, um, depending on whether that's written in or no, no, I mean, the terms of that contract are between the coach and between the stars and their employer. I don't have never seen the contract. I'm, I want to make that clear. I don't know exactly what that contract says, so I'm not pretending to, but we know and it's been publicly stated that um, it's a coaching contract and then he's going to finish his career in a consulting role. So maybe, so what if, uh, what if Todd McClellan becomes available or what if I, I, I think, or what if I think, I think one of those things, the other thing that might be more likely is another name becomes available that the owners, that the owner and GM say, Hey, we want that guy. And then they work with, they work and then they move Hitch to in a uh, advisory role or whatever. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I feel about Todd McClellan. I don't know that everything that's gone on in Edmonton this year is totally his fault. I mean, it's kind of hard to say that because I, that was, that, that, that was just the name I'm throwing out. I, yeah. That's right. the name I'm throwing out there. Yeah. No. Um, See, the, the, the thing that gets hairy here is I don't think Hitch gets fired because if Hitch gets fired, I don't think Mill is that far behind. Because generally, GMs only get to make one coaching hire, and if they blow that, then that's it. But did we still don't know for sure, did this GM make the coaching hire? That's true. That's a good point. So... I don't know. This is, like I said, this, the post-mortem on this season will be really interesting if they don't make the playoffs. And as interesting as last offseason was, if they don't make the playoffs, this coming offseason becomes infinitely more interesting because now you're getting to a point where we really have to step it up next year or 91 is walking out the door after the season. Yeah. Um he is that's that's the big thing that you have to plan for and you talk about planning for long term success and keeping everything like that and you in order to have long term success you need to have him in the fold. I mean or a player yes. like that. Yes. So I going back to the coaching thing, I don't I guess the original point was Spezza. I yes, we're talking about Spezza. if you eat if you eat, I don't think they buy him out because that's that much. I mean, two million against the cap isn't huge, but I mean that's that much less money that you can feasibly give to Sagan in his next extension. It's assuming that it gets yeah. done. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Anything, for me, the, for me, for, for me, for me, the buyout, which has the issue, becomes that it goes over two years. Because I yeah. think the stars, the stars have as frustrating as it would be to see that cap hit and see how he was playing. As frustrating as it would be, it would only be only seven point five for next year. It doesn't. If you, right. if you buy him out, it's two point. It's two point five over each of the next uh, two years. Um, right. And then, and you, then, then you get into a spot where it's where it's a bit hairy. Um, right. Just you, you want to save as much cap dollars as possible, especially since you may be in a situation where who knows you may have to be doing what Chicago does with Mary Hosa, where you're putting you have to stay under the cap on opening day with with Martin Hansel 
and then just LPIR him on, on October 8th. Yeah. Um, so you have, especially since his 7.5 next year, assuming that he's still on the roster next year, isn't that, I mean, it's not great, but it's not like it's backbreaking because you got Kari Lettinen coming off the books. You have, according to Cat Friendly, they have $17.5 million in projected cash space before anyone gets resigned. Uh, you have resales $2 million that are coming off the books that I'm assuming are going to be redone. And if we're being completely honest, it would not shock me if Martin Hansel never plays another game in Dallas. Um, I would be... It wouldn't shock I mean, I, I hate to say that, but it's true. Because it, it, it wouldn't shock me if Martin Hansel never it, plays another NHL game. So it's his third back surgery, and I don't know that many people know a ton about spinal fusion surgery, and we don't take our spine class until the fall. So basically everything that I've heard about it has just been in the clinic. So one, the third back surgery is not good. But basically what they do with spinal fusion is they suck the disc out of your back and they fuse your spine together. I, I feel like that you can find that out by Googling it. The problem with that becomes then is our spines are built kinematically to have all those discs in place. So when you take one of those out, it messes up the mechanics everywhere else in your spine to the point that you're going to end up probably needing another spinal fusion either above or below the, the vertebral level that you had the first one at at some point in your life. And that's just for a normal average Joe human being like you and me, not mm -hmm. considering the life of being a professional athlete in a high con heavy contact sport. So if or, a guy, or, or a guy or, or, or if you're skating... And also, you look, think of the skating motion, the stress on the back, and what is Martin Hansel best at, right? Let's, 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 what is, Martin Hansel, everyone talks about two things, his penalty killing and his face-off. What position is your back in on a face-off? You're heavily flexed, which is not good on your back. Mm -hmm. So if, oh. if, if I'm, and granted, I, I'm not going to pretend to be a spine expert, but if I'm Martin Hansel, if it would not surprise me if Martin Hansel's surgeon said to him, "Look, man, just don't." It, yeah, I mean, so. and he would, and if that was to happen, if he was to be done for two years, if he was to front up, basically, it would just be like what happened with Mary Host of this from Chicago, where you'd have to get under the cap on opening day, and then you'd LPIR. Yeah, uh, and, and so. so the key to making that work, though, the key to making that work, and this is where it gets tricky is you have to make sure you have enough guys that are waiver exempt to make that work. Yeah. Like Chicago, Chicago was able to do it this year because you think about Tabrinkit's waiver exempt. Uh, they had a couple other younger mm -hmm. guys. I think they had two or three younger guys that officially started the season on Rockford's roster and then were recalled 12 hours after the roster came out. Um, yeah. So, and the Stars' problem is they're starting to run to the point where those guys that used to be those guys who you could swing back and forth are no longer waiver exempt. I mean, Jamel Smith is no longer mm -hmm. waiver exempt. I don't, Remy Ellie won't be waiver exempt next year, I believe. Um, you have, so you're, you're going to have to risk, you'd have to risk losing guys to do that. Uh, you'd have to risk losing bottom six players, obviously, or what you, you don't, you don't have the luxury of, uh, you don't have the, the luxury of having a forward like Alex Sabrinkit who's still waiver exists. Right. Unless we're talking about a situation then when you're, when you have Rupe Hintz or Dennis Gurianov on the roster next year, but that's a little further down the rabbit hole than I think we need to get today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so we talked about the, we talked about the buyout option. We talked about the option of him still being here on that cap, but real quick, trade him. Is it possible? 
if you yeah, have well, any, any other if you that's the other thing too. Is I feel like if you're if you're eating half of his salary, I feel like there's a team that would take a flyer on him at three point seven five million for one year. I think Austin Funday. I don't Funday, know that he's uh, come back, but well, you know what? You might. I also wouldn't be opposed to giving. I wouldn't be opposed to giving a fourth or a fifth round pick to a team to take him completely for nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be willing to, frankly, I'd be willing to, here's pie in the sky, complete pie in the sky, crazy thought, okay? It's not going to happen. Okay. Pie in the sky, crazy thought. You, at the draft, you, at the draft, you uh, send a fourth round pick and says it to, I don't know, Arizona. Because Arizona seems to be always the team taking those contracts, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Arizona for the full thing. Okay, made 7.5. In doing so, you opened up space, and you go crazy. This is a podcast, so we can go crazy on this. Um, in doing so, you've opened up enough space where you really swing for the fences, and you go give Tavares twelve million. Interesting. See, I feel like if you give Tavares twelve million, I, I guess this is a hypothetical. I, but then I feel like this is a completely like give- hypothetical. I feel like if you give Tavares twelve million, then you're you're basically saying goodbye to Sagan because Sagan will probably get Sagan will easily get twelve mil on the open market, and then you're in a situation where you have thirty five million dollars committed to your top three forwards. Oh no, I'm not saying it's I'm not this is this is not something that's going to happen or but it's I'm just it's 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 I mean, fun for I one season at least. No, I wouldn't hate the move because then you're looking at a team that becomes a Stanley Cup favorite, and then if you lose Sagan after the season, okay, well we got your replacement already. Yeah, or That'd or the fun. cap That'd goes up, or, or or the cap goes up a little bit, and Sagan says, you know what, um, I like the tax breaks in Dallas, and I mean I don't, I like the tax breaks in Dallas, and I'll stick around. I don't know. I just it's hypothetical. Well, and then we're going to have another lockout in three years anyway, and you just buy one of them out after that. Yeah. Oh, there's going to – yeah. There'll be another – yeah. Every team will probably get another compliance buyout when that lockout happens, right? Yeah, exactly. So why not? Go for it. Go for it next year. Yeah. I mean, it's, this is just crazy. It's obviously <laughs> not going to happen, but why not? Throw it at the wall and see what sticks. All right. Why not? This is me – Watching snowflakes fall in Washington D.C., hoping to get on a standby airplane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh boy. That'd be something else. Yeah. Have uh. Yeah. It'll it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um. We have anything else to talk about? Uh, no, not really. I think, I feel like I got all my frustrations about the last month and a half out. I'm feeling pretty good right now. Not feeling good about the Stars making the playoffs, but me personally, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Good, good. Well, um, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. We will, uh, record more frequently now. Um, we're still figuring out a couple, we're still figuring out a couple things, um, on, uh, Right now, this one will still be posted under the wrong side of the Red Line podcast account, but uh, may or may not be getting hosting, uh, getting free hosting from the Athletics, so we may be officially moving to there after this. So we will uh, 
keep you, keep you in touch with that. But uh, basically, uh, kind of one of the hiccups for us not recording was both scheduling and me figuring out some uh, capabilities with my new job. Um, either way, everyone, uh, podcast will continue with Ryan and I, and uh, Owen and I will also still be doing the car cast, all those things. Uh, we're just still, uh, we're just uh, at the athletic right now. We're still figuring out. We may be setting up a deal with podcast hosting and everything like that. So um, it may just no longer be Ryan and I paying out of our pockets to host us. So. <laughs> Woo! So, everyone, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, I don't know. Talk soon, Ryan. Yes, sir. Let's do it. <laughs>